Well, hello and welcome. This is the Social Leader Podcast, made for entrepreneurs, volunteers, business owners, faith leaders, community advocates, trailblazers, innovators, visioneers from every walk of life. Social leaders strive to move beyond basic charity to integrate and then operationalize their social priorities. They forge sustainable solutions to solve our community's most tangled problems. Social leaders have a social venturing mindset, meaning they crave the entrepreneurial adventure of creating a return on investment at the same time as generating a social return on investment. They are bias-aware, trauma-informed, flexible, available, teachable, collaborative, co-creators, active listeners, quick to acknowledge their wrongs, and they seek shared value. They're generous in their time and their spirit. They are meaningfully engaged in the pursuit of diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially when no one is watching. Social leaders, my friends, they are the most creative and important leaders of our time because they are striving to lead with greater social impact to change our world. Welcome to episode number 16 of the Social Leader Podcast. I'm Father Justin Matthews. And real quick, before we begin today's episode, I want to let you know that this podcast is presented by Reconciliation Services, which is a nonprofit social venture in Kansas City working to cultivate a community seeking racial and economic reconciliation to reveal the strength of all. You can find out more about Reconciliation Services programs and even support our work at rs3101.org. I am excited to welcome today our special guest, the CEO of Evergy, the big utility company here in Kansas City, Missouri, and in the region, if you're not watching from here. And my guest is Terry Bassam. Terry, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Father, for having me. And thank you for all, uh, all you do and all uh, Reconciliation Services does for our community. Absolutely. And thank you for making time. I know there's a lot happening right now. And I want to just begin by allowing you to introduce yourself a little bit to, to the community who might not have met you before. You know, your work at Evergy, I know you've been there a number of years, uh, even before you became the CEO. But, you know, as a leader who's making a great impact in the region, I'd love to know a little bit more about your journey, your leadership journey, and how you got to where you are today. So, Help catch us up a little bit. Where are you from and how'd you get here? Yeah, so I appreciate that. I, um, you know, I grew up in a small town of 500 people in East Texas, went to school um, there uh, and in San Antonio ultimately and ended up in um, El Paso, Texas for 20 years um, as uh, first as an attorney representing uh, the El Paso Electric Company uh, and then went to work for El Paso Electric. Um, and um, after uh, 20 years there, came to Kansas City uh, in 2015, um, or in 2005, I'm sorry. Uh, luckily, in El Paso, I met my wife. Uh, my wife is Mexican-American, grew up in West Texas, and we met there in El Paso uh, and had three children. So in 2005, moved our three children here uh, and have been with Kansas City Power & Light, or now uh, Evergy, ever since. And certainly my um, my leadership style um, has been um, developed over time and originally based on, you know, my faith and belief um, uh, that comes from a, a family that was the first Baptist church of Orr City, Texas for many, many years. And then ultimately converted to be Catholic uh, with my uh, wife uh, as we raised our kids. 
So your so. Christmas dinner table is a lot like mine, because my father-in-law is a Southern Baptist preacher, and then I became an Orthodox Christian priest and married his daughter. So I, yeah. I'm, I might understand some of that journey with you. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, who do you look up to in leadership? You know, who who's really helped form you as a leader, and maybe share a story about how you became the leader you are today, and who you look up to. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I've got a very personal uh, relationship with a gentleman who actually lives in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, um, mm. So a gentleman that worked at Weststar, oddly enough, a uh, funny story, came to El Paso Electric to be our CEO um, and actually hired me to be the general counsel at the time. And then ultimately, several years later, he had come back to Weststar and um, I called him to get advice on, uh, you know, the opportunity here in Kansas City. What was important about that, though, is how he uh, led our team. And um, I'll just tell you that from a community perspective, at the end of a long, tough series of uh, issues for the utility, he spent in his first five years bringing our company back to be a community leader and to be focused on the social and equity issues of El Paso. And after only being there five years and not being there uh, before that, he, he became the El Paso one of the year. And uh, you couldn't squeeze that out of him if you tried. It was all about team. And that's the way he always presented it. So his humble nature, but his constant focus on people um, and the, the people first concept that drives me every day and our, our company every day kind of started there. Uh, and then you, you begin to see other things from other people along the way that support our go the other way um, and uh, really firmed up how I feel about how I should do my job every day. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that personal connection. I can remember when I was really young, I had a guy who was a retired fortune 500 CFO guy. And uh, some of the greatest lessons I learned came from him. And I think having that kind of mentorship and that kind of relationship is utterly essential no matter where you are in leadership from community volunteer, stay-at-home dad, or CEO of Evergy. You know, I want to jump in because of what's happening. You know, we're seeing a spike in COVID. We're recording this now, right now, during the time of a worldwide pandemic with COVID-19 and coronavirus. And I know that it, in, in many cities across the country and also here in Kansas City, that a lot of the utility companies put a moratorium on shutoffs uh, because of that. And Evergy suspended disconnects for both residential and business customers when Corona happened. Talk to us a little bit about how you came to that decision and then where we're going from here, because I believe that moratorium is going to expire in the month of July. Yeah, so we, we actually were one of the first utilities in the country to announce uh, our termination or, or stopping of disconnects while we figure out what was going to ha happen. Um, you know, as a utility, we, we only grow and we only benefit if our customers grow and benefit. It, it's unique to the um, utility industry, but we in particular truly believe, as our industry does across the country, that focus on the customer first is so important. Um, we knew that people were losing their jobs. We knew that, that bills, in particular utility bills, were going to be tough. We also know, though, that it's an essential service. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you really can't do without electricity. And we're very proud of whether it's hospitals or whether it's just air conditioning in the summer, how important our service is. 
And in that regard, we had to be flexible. And so um, our regulators were very supportive. We appreciated that. Um, and they've been supporting us since then. But now it's industry standard. Uh, we are moving back into a time period that if things continue or do get a little better then starting later in the month, disconnects may start. But that doesn't mean we will be aggressive and it doesn't mean that we don't continue to provide our customers with options. So we announced an opportunity for customers to get on payment plans, uh, both near term and long term, and even provide credits if they get on a payment plan to help bring down that bill so that they don't run into a, a point where they have to make decisions around the electric bill versus groceries. And so we continue to work with folks to help them figure out how to do that. Yeah, there's a real um, confluence of potential difficulty. I mean, you got many, many low-income families um, that may well be affected by COVID if there is this continued resurgence like we're seeing now all over the country. And it's it's a lot in the South, but it feel, sure feels like it's headed towards the Midwest. And, you know, you know, we run a, a restaurant, Thomas Kitchen here in Kansas City, and I, I won't be surprised. We just reopened yesterday. I won't be surprised if there's a time where we have to really consider uh, whether or not we need to shut down again. But there's this confluence of the um, low income, particularly communities of color who are who are really suffering under COVID at higher rates than other people in our community. And these folks who are living in um, lower housing, lower quality housing stock that have much higher energy bills, which I want to come to in a minute. But then you've got the hottest months of the summer. Maybe August will be the hottest and COVID's coming back. Do you, do you think there's an opportunity or maybe say a possibility that for some folks, the shutoff um, moratorium might continue? Or is that just impossible in terms of sustainability for average. I mean, what, what are the opportunities moving forward if it gets worse? Yeah, no, not, nothing's impossible. I mean, uh, again, because it's an essential service, it, it's better for folks to continue to keep, keep in line with their bills. So they don't wind up building a backlog. Having said that, just like we responded to, to the start of the, the COVID, we'll continue to look at what needs to be done. We'll continue to provide opportunities to help pay that bill, whether it's LIHEAP or other opportunities to get um, help to folks. And we'll be very cautious about how we do those kinds of things. So um, I'm always careful to never say never. Uh, and certainly um, my, my folks still live back uh, in Texas and they've certainly seen the rise. Um, and yes, we're all concerned about that. And we're going to be cautious uh, in the way we interact with our customers and our employees. And certainly there could be a situation where we find a new opportunity on how to help people. And we'll yeah, continue and to do that. Truth in advertising and also by, but just being transparent, you know, Evergy supports reconciliation services and supported us very generously as we got into this COVID crisis financially for nonprofits who found themselves just incredibly strapped. And then so many people unemployed and so much need for um, assistance. And even though there was, utility assistance being put on a moratorium, you you actually had people going into COVID that were thousands of dollars buried in that debt. And so their, their situation kind of starts up again in August or in late July. And so we've been very thankful. We, you know, at Reconciliation Services, we help to distribute over a million dollars, almost a million dollars every year in direct client services. And a big, big piece of that is utilities. And Obviously, Evergy is a, a strong partner of ours. So it's important for everybody to know that. 
Let's talk about low-income families, though, and particularly communities of color. You know, I mentioned this earlier, that low-income families really suffer under this unique energy burden. And low-income households, which in, in this community in particular, but a lot of, uh, if not all, of the urban communities across the United States are really statistically more people of color and African-American people, they suffer under that utility energy burden more than others. And then that's compounded by the need for weatherization and upgrades to, to really poor housing stock for renters in many cases. What is Evergy doing and what is Evergy planning to do to help pull alongside these families who, not just COVID, but they've lost their jobs and a lot of folks just can't keep up what is Evergy doing in addition to making generous donations to nonprofit organizations like ours? Yeah, so on the, on the first point, again, we, we announced uh, just a month or so ago a $2.2 million uh, addition to our giving, if you will, to our communities. That's on top of about $6 million that we provide to our communities every year, specifically related, related to the impacts of COVID. So, uh, we had dollars that uh, went to match our our generous employees who uh, we had an internal fundraiser and matched those giving so we could provide uh, additional dollars. We also have um, been pushing hard to get LIHEAP uh, increased and we provided $400,000 uh, for several uh, um, other firms and programs within the city who helped uh, low income customers. Um, on a daily basis, though, we continue to provide um, and have been um, providing help to our communities through what we call our Connect Center. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we find, as with most companies, um, the majority of people would prefer to do business over the Internet and be very efficient about that. But the folks who don't have Internet or who need to talk to somebody about their issues, many times it's in the urban core. So as a result, uh, we we partnered um with um, with our communities to create what we call the Connect Center, which is at the corner of 18th and Vine. And we have folks there um, when we can open it <laughs> uh, to help people understand just what you described, that oftentimes the folks who have the, the stress over a utility bill um, are not as the most efficient. And so we try to get people to understand where they can be more efficient. We have programs in Missouri in particular called the Missouri Energy Efficiency Investment Act, or MIA, which provides the ability to provide discounts on light bulbs and thermostats and other programs that would help people be more efficient on the front end, which is not only good for all of our customers, but in their bill particularly, be able to reduce the burden comes from a, a bill because of an inefficient home to start with. Yeah, I think a lot of listeners, if you don't work in the energy sector or at the Connect Center or at a place like Reconciliation Services might not realize that a lot of people, um, particularly Latino and African-American communities, they can pay up to three times more than kind of the American average. And when folks are already living well below the federal poverty line, say, you know, below $25,000 for a family of four, you know, they they want to pay their utility bills, their rent, these things, but they they truly can't. But I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand that it's not always just your energy bill. You know, I'll, I'll share a story with you and I'd love to know, you know, what are the kind of things that you guys are doing to help these these particular cases? There was a woman who came to us, an older African-American woman on the east side of Kansas City, who was gainfully employed, 
but made minimum wage, was struggling. And so she actually allowed her daughter and boyfriend to move in with her and just kind of share the rent and try to make life together. And what ended up happening is that um, she went out of town or was, I think she was actually sick and went into the hospital for a while. And the daughter didn't pay the utility bills in her name that they were supposed to share. And the utility bill just mounted and mounted and mounted over months that she was in recovery to the, the point where literally she had more than one or two months worth of utility bills compared to her salary, entering thousands of dollars. And, you know, she came to reconciliation services and we were able to help her catch up. Uh, but there's only so many people we can do that for. How does a story like that and a company like Evergy tie into the greater prosperity efforts in Kansas City or the workforce development efforts in Kansas City? And, and, and what role does Evergy play or can Evergy play in helping more ships to rise together right now? So, you know, it, it all fits together. Our, our, our core principle of how we operate our company is we, we call it people first. And that's an easy thing to say, but, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's important to every day be committed to it. And so the way we talk about how we make money for our shareholders, and we're, we're a business owned by investors across the country, um, but we talk about it in terms of uh, employees, customers, and shareholders. What I mean by that is if we can provide a great place to work and we can provide an opportunity for people to make a living and provide for their families, um, then they then they provide better customer service. And if we can provide for our customers in a way that their their families are healthy and can provide the kind of things that that electricity can support um, in their everyday success, that's how we make money for shareholders. And you have to go in that order. If you turn it around, then you end up focused on the wrong thing first. So as we get to that point where we're dealing with customers like you described, yeah, we, we see that a lot. We see folks who um, maybe the, the account was in somebody else's name and now they have trouble getting a new service at that location because of it. So we focus and we have the greatest customer service reps in the world. If you call and talk to our folks, they will be helpful, number one, to find out your situation and understand. Uh, then we'll look and see what we can do first. So we've got payment plans. We announced a COVID payment plan where we actually give you credit on your bill if you agree to enter into a, a four-month plan and then give credit on your next bill after that to, if you pay off the, through the four months. But then on top of that, sometimes there's just more there than can we can do alone. And so there are other agencies that help provide that. I mentioned LIHE before. And we have great partnerships, reconciliation services and others across the city who we can then connect to uh, to help provide opportunities in those situations. And then there are just there are just certain situations where we'll 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 rally our community service troops together and figure out how to help someone who's really in need. Um, and it runs the gamut. Uh, that's for sure. But uh, again, we don't really grow and we don't. Um, serve as a strong community partner if our, our community is not strong. And there are a lot of folks that are, uh, that are, that are suffering right now. That's for sure. I can't hear you. I can't hear you, father. Sorry about that. So right. it's I thought it might be me. no, I think it's my side. 
Um, you know, energy is an interesting thing because you have on the one hand, these families that are struggling, but at the same time, if you can get them plugged back into the system, whether it be through charitable means or some other policy shift or, or assistance, they actually become paying customers again, which helps the company. And so your people first people, employees, customers, then shareholders is I think a really important thing. And in many ways, the energy companies touch every aspect of the social determinants of health. You know, I, there are people that we know that can't get housing because they're, you know, foreclosed upon because they don't, they haven't paid their utility bills and therefore they end up, you know, getting evicted and then they can't get another place. So it's this really tangled route. But at the same time, the energy companies um, don't have massive margins, especially if they're trying to invest as they should in, in green tech and moving forward. I, I'd like to just chat real quickly about that environmental stewardship side, because obviously that need to upgrade and weatherize individual homes then, then also has an environmental translation as we look at the larger kind of systemic uh, system of how energy works. Talk to us about the merger from Evergy and how wind and solar and coal and nuclear kind of play a part in the energy mix and how we're moving forward in the region uh, under your leadership. Yeah. What, what, um, what most people don't recognize uh, wouldn't have a reason to is that our industry, and it's certainly been true for um, the old KCPL and Westar companies, we haven't had material load growth, revenue growth, if you will, from our base product for 10 years. Since 2008, 2009, when the last crash happened, um, and then the effects of energy efficiency and those kinds of things, um, think about a large budget that you have. And over the course of 10 years, while you're increasing salaries and you have increasing cost of your other services, um, your revenue stream is flat. And so that's driven us to be efficient as possible. And we have both as a company and as an industry have done that. Um, we, uh, in part, did our um, merger for that very reason. Uh, two great local companies could come together and do things more efficiently in a way that helps reduce our overall cost for our customers while at the same time providing the same kind of um, services. One of the other keys to that was, and you, you kind of touched on it, was renewables and our reduction um, in our emissions. So um, we were partners with Westar uh, on the nuclear plant and we both were investing in Western Kansas wind over the last 10 years. The result is today, the combined energy company provides up to 50% of our energy to our customers that's carbon free. Between nuclear power, which has no carbon emissions and the wind, uh, we're able to do that on a regular basis. Our coal plants continue to uh, exist from the, the larger plant perspective, but we're focused on uh, over time being able to retire those as well and continue to be on a path to be that renewable resource, that green, clean resource for our customers uh, over the coming years. Um, and what do you think the time the frame for, for that is? I mean, in terms of how you're phasing that out, is the current crisis hastening that or is the current um, political or economic environment slowing that down? How, how's that going to work for, for Evergy? So we we yeah we so we've announced um, a uh, reduction of eighty uh, percent by twenty fifty, which is related to the the timing of the retirement of those coal plants naturally. But what we're currently working on is how do we retire those earlier? 
and how do we do that in a responsible way for both our customers and our shareholders. But in the end, we'd like to move considerably faster than that. And I would say that the markets um, are, um, are helping us move forward, if you will, in the sense that clearly environment is important to all of us. Uh, and a focus on the renewable and the uh, carbon output of every company in this world is being a focus. And coal plants are a big part of that. They're also a big part of our counties uh, and our uh, state's um, jobs. We have employees, so we want to do this in a way, again, that's people first uh, and be very focused on how we can get that done over the coming years, uh, which is uh, not only important to our sustainability of our, of our states, uh, both in Kansas and Missouri, but also for our uh, employees and our jobs and our company long term. Yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing it back to people because I mean, because ultimately the the move towards green tech is um, as costly as it can be. It's important environmentally and ultimately environmentally, we're talking about the health and safety of our world and of our families. Um, I want to go back to Evergy's actual fundamental values. And I'm looking at I'm looking at one of the uh, websites that you all have that that you guys try to bring key service to those really count on electricity, which is which is all of us, but that at Evergy, you all, you really believe, you say, in the inherent value of people and in diversity and inclusion. What do you mean by the inherent value of people? What does that mean to you personally, and, and how does that translate into your leadership of the company? Yeah, you know, every day uh, as a business, you have to work to be successful, and, and, and from a for-profit business, you have to be profitable and you have to grow. But your strategy for how you do that is the key to, to, to that comment you just made. And so um, ultimately, our people and our company are the reason we're successful. And if you take your eye off that fact, um, then you're forgetting what really drives success. It, 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 um, it ties into diversity and inclusion. It ties into the many things that are being discussed today and seen today. And, and I would tell you from a personal perspective, the story that, um, that I've shared with some folks. And, and again, I'm married to a, a Mexican-American, my beautiful wife and three kids. Basically, my kids are biracial, if you will. But um, one of the stories I've told is that my mother-in-law, uh, who I think is one of the smartest you know, uh, people in the world, um, she has a very heavy accent. She speaks two languages, for goodness sake, but she has a heavy accent. Mm. And uh, I've seen people, you know, treat her differently because of her accent. And that, that, that'll, uh, get, that'll get a son-in-law fired up, I'm here to tell you. But more importantly, uh, as you go and think about that, um, you think about people who come to work with their experiences. And so people don't come to work and hang up their personality hat on the wall and then begin to do their accounting work or their work in the power plant. They come with who they are and the, all of those experiences and who those people are, are what make them great employees and make them great people. And so to recognize that and to celebrate that and to be supportive of that is important. And that's what we try to, to do is continue to focus and, and admit when we're wrong, admit when we're not quite getting it right. Uh, and continue to work on how to how to do better. So diversity inclusion at our company has always been a core principle. But about a year ago, we decided we weren't moving fast enough. And um, as a result, we created a brand new position as a director of diversity and inclusion, and it reports directly to my office. Uh, we just didn't feel like it was getting the kind of attention that it should. 
Mm-hmm. And so we've been working hard to um, focus on what we can do uh, better on a daily basis and uh, hiring, promoting and supporting uh, all of our employees, whatever their diversity uh, is what's what's important. And then that provides, again, a recognition for who our communities are, and who our customers are uh, and helps us understand better how to be helpful to them as well. Yeah. And I operationalizing those diversity, equity, and inclusion priorities is really key. And so any move that that Evergy is making to do that obviously is incredibly important, but especially right now, given the Black Lives Matter movement, the protests, and um, police brutality, and the things that have been happening or been highlighted recently. Where did Evergy stand on, and where did you come down on um, the protests that were happening here in the region as well as across the across the world in the wake of the death of George Floyd and his murder? Well, we, we always want to be careful, um, but at the same time, we want to be focused on people first. So uh, ultimately, um, I, I wrote a letter to our employees um, and then and they decided the best thing to do there was uh, post that uh, so that the world could see it as well. Uh, and it basically says what I just said, which is that uh, we value people. We value people who they are and where they are. Um, and we need to have a lot of empathy. The one thing that is maybe the hardest sometimes to do uh, is to be empathetic to people who are different than, from us. So obviously uh, living in on a border city in El Paso and being married to a Mexican-American I have a lot of empathy towards uh, Hispanic families and, and Hispanic culture, but but maybe some folks don't know that culture as well. Uh, certainly uh, understanding and being empathetic to people who would watch a family member be harmed and ultimately killed in broad daylight by a police officer. We've got to have empathy for the fact that that's going to make people mad. Um, and so we've just got to have that empathy and be able to talk about it. And um, as a company, want our um, employees to know that we support them uh, and that we're going to keep talking about this and figuring out how to get it right and know that it's important not only to us as a group, but for our communities that we serve. Um, and um, again, if our communities are not healthy, um, n- none of us are, neither our families at work or our families at home. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like the experience for you has been also very personal, not only sort of on a corporate leadership level, but being married to a Mexican-American woman and having grown up in El Paso and in Texas. What's your lived experience or your family's lived experience been of the the recent um, political and policy decisions that have been made and and sort of the way that that's impacted the Latinx community in the United States. What's been your experience of that? Well, and I, I'll be honest, we're very fortunate. We're, we're, we're very fortunate and I don't want to suggest that we're not. Um, my, my family um, does, does well because we are a tight-knit um, group of people and we love each other and, um, and I have a good job. Um, and so, uh, from that perspective, um, always want to be, um, self-aware, but, but we also, after living in El Paso, um, and, um, 80%, um, uh, Latin, you, you have, uh, certainly the experiences of seeing folks that work hard every single day and still struggle. And so, um, 
you know, without being political, what I what I've always said is that, you know, lawmakers should, you know, know the people that their laws affect. Um, and so uh, I just would always want to keep that in mind um, that in the end, it's all about people um, and uh, being fair to those people um, can be discussed in many, many different ways. So I wouldn't want to debate that. But if people are focused on the effect it has on uh, individuals, then that's a good place to start. Yeah, I, I appreciate the perspective that you're bringing. And I know that, um, you know, in your company statements, you're talking about a commitment to diversity and inclusion, but ultimately that starts with us as social leaders. And I know that CEOs and department leaders and people in general um, oftentimes feel uh, like they aren't free to speak because of politics or because of shareholders and whatnot. But I think now um, the putting the statement out is important, but actualizing the priorities in the statement at a personal level, I think is even more critical. And I don't know if you'll want to go here or not, but I'd be very interested as a social leader you know, that lived experience for you as being a white man, having grown up in Texas and then marrying a Mexican-American woman. Um, are there any stories where you felt like you really grew or you really learned something about about bias or about culture that you were unaware of? Um, can you share a little bit about your personal growth journey when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion um, from your own life experience? Yeah, it, it so it speaks to the, the, the word diversity. Uh, if you think for a minute about you mentioned the, the, the dinner table at Christmas, um, you know, growing up in a very small rural um, town in East Texas with parents we uh, in a Southern Baptist church. And then think about being at a, another dinner table with uh, with your uh, new Mexican-American, Mexican family. Uh, in El Paso at a dinner table. Those are two different um, ways of doing things. And, um, you know, it was such a blessing uh, to be around those people, uh, to see uh, how they care about each other. Um, and so uh, you just don't know any different sometimes. Um, and that's why I encourage people is you don't have to listen to what someone else says about diversity. Um, just be open to experience it, you know, when you're around those kind of things. I married into it, so it was right there. Um, but um, it certainly was a, a growth in, in the way that you think about people's perspectives. And um, a lot of folks, you know, feel strongly because of how they grew up. And we need to have the understanding that that's, that's absolutely the right thing, except other people grew up differently. Um, and to think about all the ways that people do things all over the world, um, they're, they're just many times not right and wrong. They're just different. And man, doesn't that make our place a better place to live? Um, you know, it just makes it a more exciting, vibrant, beautiful world to live in when there's different ways of getting things done. Um, and, and that's the beauty of the culture. And I've certainly grown to believe um, that even trying to be a leader of a large organization, it's okay to be a person. And yeah, I, you know, we have to be careful sometimes about, about, you know, saying certain things, um, but it is super important to be a person. Um, and um, your learned experiences educate you in that regard. No doubt about it. Yeah. I, I, we have to be careful about 
saying certain things. We also have to be careful, don't we, about not saying certain things or being afraid to stand up or speak up. I think if there's anything that we as leaders are being challenged on right now, uh, it's not only to be empathetic, like you're saying, um, and come to appreciate the lived experience of others, but also to be willing to use our power, our privilege, our access to resources, people, companies, processes, or knowledge to be able to really benefit um, people from every background, but particularly in our community, people of color and the Latinx community not, notwithstanding. I think that as we kind of wrap up our time together, what I'd love to do is just to learn a little bit from you about how we can grow as social leaders. Um, do you have a favorite book that you're reading or a favorite uh, resource that you've been digging into that's helping you to grow in these things that we've been talking about today? Uh, no, I, I haven't been reading anything lately. Um, what I've been, what I've been doing is, um, again, trying to, to meet more people. Um, I've, uh, I have a, a spot where I've been working from, uh, that's uh, not home. Um, and, uh, from in that neighborhood, I'm, I'm trying to meet people and, uh, and try to be part of the neighborhood. Um, and, uh, again, learn from those experiences. Um, every single day I have a, 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 an opportunity to work with some of the greatest people in the country at Evergy. And I learn from them every day and a complicated, difficult, uh, think of the, the guys that are working power plants and, and working right now, um, outside in this heat. Um, and then call center folks who are working every day to make sure that they can be responsive to people who need help. And you learn from each one of those. Um, I, I'm, I'm, my office is the origination for uh, customer service. So I get some complaints, but man, is it, it beautiful when I hear somebody thank one of our employees for doing those kind of things. And um, recognizing how important the team is, is really where I am um, continue to focus on the people at, at Evergy. Well, I know you've spent a lot of time working on board service, and we didn't get a chance today to talk about your your work with purpose-built communities and the Urban Neighborhood Initiative in Kansas City on the east side. Is there anything that you want to share with us um, from that experience or from that listening that you've been doing uh, or your work with other organizations in Kansas City working with low-income communities? Is there anything that you learned as a leader that really you take away concretely into your your daily work that that you didn't know beforehand? You know, this may sound awful simple. Um, and I, and I, I think there was a time in my career where I had um, grand illusions of being able to impact large swaths of people and, and be helpful on a very large policy basis and make a change on a grand scale, maybe. And I will tell you that, that, I personally have um, found for me and in this situation that um, helping one person, one group of people, one family at a time is really the, the only way I know how to do it. Um, if that causes uh, more people to be helped, that's great. I certainly work for a great company that has the ability to, to, funnel more dollars to be able to help a grander scale. But in the end, um, I've come to believe just take them one at a time and try to be helpful and be empathetic and figure out what's because you can sometimes miss the point if you're trying to change the policy of a whole city neighborhood. Um, but if you can help one person 
that was that was the whole Kansas City Neighborhood Academy focus for me is we could help one young child get to the next spot in life to be successful. You know, that's that's good enough. Um, so that's really the focus for me. It's not as uh, grand as maybe um, some would be able to do, but it's uh, it's just about the only way I figured out how to do it. So. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's a small thing. I think it's really hard to do. Sometimes I think it's easier to focus on the huge policies and we forget about the lived experiences of the individuals that are right in front of us and we actually can make a difference today. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. Well, lastly, I always end every podcast with this question. There are a lot of people out there who are listening that want to learn to increase their social impact. They want to learn to lead, not just to do well with their company or their projects, but they want to learn how to integrate their social priorities more deeply in their work and move beyond just charity and board service. Um, what, what two or three pieces of advice would you give folks who are listening so that they can increase their social impact in their daily leadership in life? Well, first, I would say that, it, that we have a lot of great charitable organizations, uh, Reconciliation Services being one of them. Um, I have I have served lunch once and I plan to, to do many more with your organization. Um, it, working with a group of people who are dedicated and organized and have a great focus um, it, it continues to be um, a, a great way to really get engaged quickly. Um, with, with folks who already kind of know the needs. The second would be what I just said, which is uh, don't, don't ignore what's right around you um, and, uh, and don't be afraid to be personally involved. Um, and I know everybody has their own family and has um, their own communities to deal with. And so this can be hard, but um, I, I'd say just don't be afraid to help in one at a time. And, and finally, I just I keep using the word empathy. Um, it is just sometimes so hard to understand how much need there is if you can't be or, or see the, the, the need on the other side. And so um, being able to be empathetic to someone who maybe on that day um, looks like they're beyond help um, may absolutely uh, appreciate something simple or more and probably come from a situation that um, may not even be of the making of their own. So, um, you know, again, not being so critical and being a little more empathetic to folks in need um, will, will lead you along the path many times that uh, is best for you in terms of uh, helping. Well, Terry, not many leaders in our community touch as many areas of people's lives when they are leading a business. You touch everything from low-income families and their utility bills and their struggle to survive and succeed all the way to the environmental impact and of in our region and the future of of green tech and energy and i appreciate the thoughts that you've shared with us today i appreciate your empathy and your compassion for those in our community and uh, i appreciate the energy that you are putting in and i know will continue to put in to uh, making your leadership count and helping uh, us all to benefit from the greater social impact that a company like energy evergy can make uh, that extends well beyond just the energy industry, but really into all of our lives and into our communities. So thank you for the time today, Terry, and thank you for uh, spending some time with us on The Social Leader to teach us a little bit about where your heart is and where your company's going. Appreciate your time. Well, thank you. And thanks to all the employees of Evergy.
who uh, have the impact they have. And thank you to Reconciliation Services and you. It's been a pleasure to get to know you and uh, you guys do a great job. I look forward to working together in the future. Likewise, thanks so much. Well, hang tight with me real quick while we conclude. Everybody, I wanted to just thank you for being here with us today and spending a little bit of time with us. And before we go, I want to let you know about a brand new e-course that I've been talking about for about a month and it's getting ready to launch. It's called the Social Leader Essentials. We are in the final production stages of getting it ready to launch, but it is an e-course that uh, I think will really help folks, whether you're a volunteer, a CEO, or you're serving on a board, no matter where you are on the front lines or on the back end of a company or in this community, everyone has something to learn about becoming more bias aware, about having a social venturing, social entrepreneurial mindset and actualizing our diversity, equity and inclusion priorities, our environmental priorities. And we all have an opportunity to grow as social leaders. So do me a favor, if you're interested, please go to thesocialleader.org, answer just a few cup, uh, just a couple questions, and we'll have one of our team reach out to you to see if this course, which is about to launch, is right for you. And lastly, if you like this podcast and you want to help us spread the word, make sure to smash that like button, share it out with your friends on social media, and follow us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. So again, thank you for spending some time with us today. I'm Father Justin Matthews. I look forward to seeing you next week on the Social Leader Podcast. Nathaniel Miles was